Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. at the number of people today who try to persuade you that the Banshee doesn't exist, that the Banshee is just the sound of, oh, a fox or a hare or an owl. And some of those would be country people too, people you think would know better. But you see Country people have changed. There's so many things going on now. Mechanical things. You go out your door today and there's chainsaws and there's hedge trimmers and there's tractors and there's... To get a bit of quietness now, on a summer's day especially, is almost impossible, even in a country place. Uh, <laughs> to think you could hear the banshee's voice now well think again I have met people who have helped her many people who have helped her people I trust and I have met a few just a few who have seen her and whose description has been convincing to say the very least Remember, I'd be a sceptic in most things. I've been collecting folklore for 47 years and 
I first, second, third, fourth. I don't believe, or maybe I should say I don't believe lightly. But uh, there's always people that are convincing, and uh, some of these people. Well, let me tell you. Who is the Banshee, first of all? Well, the words themselves. Ban, she, fairy woman. And what does she do? She gives a warning of death. Now, in some parts of Ireland, she's not called the Banshee at all. She's called the Bow. B-A-D-H-B-H, -H, to spell it in Irish. Uh, she tends to be called the bow in the southeast, ish, that part of the country. Whereas most people would regard her uh, as the banshee, most people know her as the banshee. And what families claim her? Well, again, I say most people think it's the O's and the Max, the old Irish families. But not really. There's a host of families who claim her as theirs. Some of them, you'd say, are these Irish families. For example, the, the Adamsons, uh, the, the Morrises. The the uh, Kerwans, the the Holmeses, the Greys, the Foxes, the Farrises, the Dorises, the Deerings, the uh, oh, you could go on, you could go on, uh, and no, of course. When those are translated into something else, maybe they, you know, names, names can get twisted and they sometimes go back to, well, who knows. But, but, you see, <laughs> when English families came to Ireland, sometimes they saw, when they were granted land in Ireland, sometimes in the 17th century, they saw that, oh, they weren't stupid people. They saw that the mark of uh, almost possession of uh, true Gaeldom, the true Gaeldom, the mark of true Gaeldom was having a banshee. And they weren't slow to spot this and say that, eh, oh, we're only new here. We've been granted land, sometimes for service to the crown. And it was confiscated land, so we better get a banshee too if we want to be regarded as <coughs> the real proprietors to this. So they claimed a banshee. <laughs> Made good sense. Even though their name was maybe as English as anybody's. <coughs> I mean, anybody English's. And so very often we see that names today who have a banshee anything but Irish looking. 
But in the course of the years, down, down, and the centuries since, those people have become as Irish as anybody else, so I suppose they are as entitled to claim a banshee as anybody who is O'Donnell or McNamara or McIntyre or McKenna or O'Dwyer or O'Leary or God only knows what. Uh, Lenehan, for example, me. <laughs> well, I suppose that's all Lenehan, so... Hmm? They're <laughs> descended from the blackbirds, I presume. <laughs> but in any case, in any case, it was a serious matter if you met the banshee, because who was she crying for? Maybe yourself. Mm -hmm. It uh, it was a serious matter, and it was uh, any person that I ever heard the story about the banshee from. They weren't laughing. It was the kind of cry that gave you the shivers. The cry of the banshee was, uh, it was uh, the cry that sent the shiver up your back. And you only hoped that the cry wasn't for you. And when the person died that the banshee was crying for, you blessed yourself and said, thank God, that wasn't for me anyway. Now, let me tell you a story that I heard from a man who experienced it himself. <clears throat> he was a young fellow, he said, <laughs> who hated school. He hated school. Well, that wasn't too strange. And the reason he hated school was the master was a savage. The master was a savage. He beat them for no particular reason except the satisfaction of it. Now, the same by his father and his two uncles were cattle drovers. And the boy, of course, he'd love to be on the road with his father and the two uncles, partly to escape the school and partly because he'd love to be out seeing the world with his father and the uncles. Love to be a, a well, you know, what young lads are like. But his father, no, no, you're staying at school. It is the only hope not to be like us. Of course, the boy thought, <laughs> I want to be like you. He didn't say that, of course. But the father knew something that the boy didn't. That it was no romantic life at all to be on the road. Uh, to be out hail, rain or snow, walking miles and miles, driving other people's cattle. Sometimes having to wait uh, hours and hours and hours on a street, uh, waiting to sell when there was no buyers. Uh, that wasn't fun. That wasn't fun. Sometimes having to bring cattle home again and then not getting paid. Well, well you'd get paid a small fee for having done it, but by the Lord, I tell you, it was no life. It was a life for a dog. And it aged men before that time. The father hidden what his son. He didn't want his son following that kind of a life. So, school. School is the only way of rising above this kind of thing. He was a good father. He was a good father. He didn't want any of that for his son. So, anyway... Time went on, and there used to be a cattle fair in Gort that time at the end of the year, month of November, I think it was. And <laughs> one of the uncles got sick at some other fair. He got a dose of the flu. Now he stuck it out as long as he could. The boy noticed it. And you see, at that time, <laughs> you needed three men driving cattle. And the reason was obvious. The reason was obvious, of course. One man to keep them going straight. And two others when they came to a crossroads because to keep the cattle from scattering. 
There was no trucks across that time. It was all walking cattle. And if you had a little herd of cattle, well, depending on the number, the bigger the herd, the more awkward it would be. And now if you came to a four crossroads, if you came to a five crossroads, and there was one of them on the road to Gort, at near Lockhouter, <laughs> awkward crossroads. But these men, they knew their job. But, but, I tell you, if you got skittish cattle, you needed all your skill. Now, one of the uncles got sick anyway, Joseph flew or something like that, and the boy saw his chance, da-da-da-da-da-da, I, I, I. And the father was caught. He needed the help. They had to get the God. They needed the money, of course, to, to buy the Christmas. So anyway, all right, he says, all right. Now he saw his opportunity, of course, of teaching the son a lesson that he'd never forget. And he was the man to do it. So he said, all right, he said, you can come. But, but, there'll be no complaints out of you, he said, because there's no one going to take no notice of you. And of course, the son, no, all right, he says, all right, dada, I'll be good, I'll be good. So the day came, so only a couple of days after, and... The mother, she had the breakfast ready for them at about five o'clock in the morning. Oh, now it was 12 or 13 miles from where they were going in Crusheen Parish, Crusheen Parish to Gort. They were down at the butt of the parish and be the Lord. Anyway, they set out after the breakfast. The cattle were inside little, little little paddock I suppose uh, Haggart Adam collected from the night before they set off and there was about six or seven or eight crossroads between that and Gort now the father wanted to be there early he wanted to be there around half past eight because he had his own place in the street of Gort all the fairs were held in streets at that time and, and his place was under the railway bridge that's going across the street there in Gort and why? That was his usual perch because if it came wet, he'd have a small bit of shelter. God help us, not much, but a small bit. And people knew that that was his place. Anyway, they went on and they went on and they went on. And most of the crossroads now, they were simple enough. They were small crossroads. But on he went. And the boy was good. Of course, he was young, he was lively. And the father would give him the beck, go, go. And the boy, he'd be up at the crossroads even before the uncle. The father was doing the driving straight on, straight on. And they passed one crossroad and another crossroad and another... And they got to got uh, to got. And God, they made it a little bit ahead of time. And it was a busy, it was a busy, there was a lot of cattle. There was a busy enough fair. But one small problem. <laughs> there weren't many buyers. Oh, it wasn't a busy fair, all right. There were plenty of cattle, but not many buyers. So we got anywhere. They were there hour after hour. And you see, the boy wasn't used to fairs. And the father had told him, first thing, now he says, your job is, at this side here, mind our cattle and keep them separate from that man's there. Sure, the boy hadn't a clue. Hadn't a clue. Because cattle will be getting mixed with other cattle there on the side of the street. And you see when cattle are restless, restless, and some of them young cattle, they will be getting mixed. And uh, I tell you, if a cattle makes it <laughs> like that on top of you, shite stone on top, 
You're going to be dirty for the whole day. And the boy had a few very close escapes. <laughs> the poor lad. Yeah. See, he was a young fella. He was a young fella. But anyway, he somehow he managed to learn quick at a thing like that. But on went the day. And what, nine o'clock, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, the Angelus rang. The Angelus rang and still no sale. Very bad fare in that way. Very few buyers. One o'clock came. They were hungry, of course. No. Half past five in the morning, says they. Two o'clock came. A man came up to them. How much do you want for those skeletons? Jesus, the father nearly hit him. Why, God bless you, what do you mean? Skeletons? They're as good cattle as in the street. What? The man walked away. All right, he says, if that's the way you feel about them. He walked away. And he could afford to, of course, because there was plenty of other cattle there. Anyway, they were there another hour. Two more hours. Nothing like a drop of tea. But six o'clock came. The Angelus rang again. This other man came up to them. Oh, I suppose he had been watching them. He made him an offer. And, and, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't what they were looking for. But they couldn't take home the cattle with them. The rent had to be paid. The rent day was coming up. And was a less less offer than they wanted but but eventually they came to a kind of a deal he came up a bit they came down a bit and eventually they made a kind of a deal and and they had to take down the cattle into the railway put him aboard a wagon sign the old document and down into the pub where the deal was finished and of course that was a racket that was a racket, because on a fair day, the pubs, they were open long, long hours. Extra business, of course. And now the boy, he was took in. He was took in also. And he was given a bottle of orange or something and into the corner. Into the corner. And it was an old smoky dive of a place, because on a fair day, you see, there'd be fellas inside... Uh, making deals uh, and finishing out deals and smoke. Look, pubs were a different place entirely that time. And the time passed because the father and the uncle, they knew Phil was there and pints were bought and pints were sold, blah, 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 blah. And the hours passed. And the boy, he's laying over to his father, Daddy, can we go home? No, we'll go home, we'll go home. Remember now? The father was going to teach him a lesson that he'd never forget. He'd stay at school from now on. And eight o'clock came. And nine o'clock came. And ten o'clock came. And eleven o'clock came. Oh, the boy, uh, the father bought him another bottle of orange just to keep him quiet. And the boy was starved now, remember? He hadn't eaten since half past five the morning before that. And now... It was ten o'clock the night after. So I bet the lad, around half past twelve or one o'clock, they were thrown out of the pub. And, as he told me, I, I was fallen with hunger and with the tiredness. And he said, it was twelve miles home. And do you think anybody picked me up, he said? Not a hope. I had to walk that twelve miles home. And by the time, he says, we got home, it was nearly dawning day, he said, and when we were going in the Boreen home, 
and I could see the light of the kitchen in the window. My mother was up, I suppose, getting the breakfast. And we opened the gate and we walked in the boreen. I sure I could hardly keep my eyes open. But as we were halfway in the boreen, <coughs> we saw the woman sitting above on the wall on our left, combing her hair. And of course we stopped, because we didn't know her. Who was she? But anyway, my father and myself, we shoved over to the other side of the boreen. And my father saluted her. And she didn't salute us back and kept combing and combing her hair, long grey hair. No, we passed, we passed as fast as we could, but my uncle was behind us. Now he was a different kind of a man. He saluted her too. <laughs> and no reply. And when he got no reply, what did he do? Only made a dart across and snapped the comb out of her hand. And the minute he did, there was this uh, out of her. Well, the three of us, we ran, we ran for the door. Christ, we even nearly put the door and the jams of the door in before us. Now, now, I remember, I'll remember all my life, he told me, that when we arrived in the kitchen, there, there was my mother, just beside the fireplace. And she had, she had, what would I call it, she, he said, she had a pot in her hand, like she was going to make porridge or something. She had the pot in her hand beside the fireplace and she looked around and she said, What in the name of Christ are you after doing? And she said, Close the door, close the door quick. And my father slammed out the door and the crying surrounded the house, lonesome, lonesome crying. And my mother, she looked and she saw, she saw the comb in my uncle's hand and she said, you bloody Amadan, she said, what did you do? And my uncle, he was just about to open the door and throw it out. He said, don't, don't, she said. And she grabbed the tongs, she grabbed the tongs. No, no, he said, it was the kind of a tongs that was made by the local blacksmith, one of the old style tongs. By the Christ, was one of them that you wouldn't, you wouldn't bend over your knee like you would the modern old tongs. She said, give me that, give me that. And he gave her the comb and she put it in the, edge, in the end of the tongues. And now she said, open the door, small bit, small bit. And he opened the door a couple of inches and she reached out the tongues and the comb on the tongues. And immediately it was snapped out of her hand and the crying stopped. Now we stood there, the four of us, in the silence. And it was like, it was like we were there for five minutes. And now, I'm sure we were only there, he said, maybe for five, ten seconds. But it was like, it was like we were there for five minutes. You, you know yourself, in a thing like that, how time passes so, so slow. But, but, when there was no sound, my mother, she went over to the window and she pulled the shutters only a small little window and she pulled open the shutters slowly and it was, it was bright by now and she looked out and there was the tongues outside outside 
on the ground and she called my uncle and she said come here come here and look at this and she pointed out the tongues to him and the tongues was in the shape of an s-hook bent and she said look she said look at that that's the way your hand would be your arm would be if you had if you had reached out that tongues you bloody idiot she said that was the banshee and why didn't you leave her alone to get on with her own business and mind your business and that's the story that man told me that happened to him and to them that night when he was coming back from the fair in God or that morning I should say so he met something that night and remembered it all his life because he was an old man and he told me that story about what happened to him when he was a young lad but one thing was sure he said I had no trouble going to school after that Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.